Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm on steady ground. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's been, oh, it's been a wild weekend. Right. We actually talk, uh, will be talking about this on an upcoming Patreon episode. Uh, yeah, in a couple of days. Uh, yeah, but... Um, yeah, we had a, a, a lot of, uh, or we had two big earthquakes yeah. back-to-back and some aftershocks. Yeah. I guess the first one is a foreshock. That's how they say. Oh. Because, first, so, on when it happened on July 4th, it was an earthquake. Mm. But then on July 5th, when there was a bigger one, the July 4th one got downgraded to a foreshock. Uh, Can't we all just say it's a bunch of stuff that happened? Uh, like, uh, this means I don't. I don't like. People, uh, I don't but, like this um, retconning of earthquakes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't. We don't need to go into the whole story about what we were doing, what happened, because we talked about. You can find mm-hmm. that on the on the Patreon episode this week. We talked a little bit uh, about that, but it did. I will say something I didn't say on the Patreon is that uh, I tend to have I tend to be very split on earthquakes okay. when they happen. I often do have this little sort of like roller coaster, like thrill ride, like coming up against the death wish type of like, sure. Like I'm weirdly enjoying this. And then like, like, uh, I guess this is like people getting, uh, getting addicted to like adrenaline, jumping out of planes and stuff. Sure. There'll be times like there'll be an earthquake. And then like a couple hours later, I'll be like, I miss, I miss that earthquake. <laughs> Cause it was like, it let me know I was alive in a way. Um, this- I have a, I have a hard time being super excited about earthquakes because if it's, if it's like a shaky little fun ride for me, I'm just like someone somewhere it is not a fun yeah, they, yeah. Ridge Ridgecrest Ridge is Crest. without power. Yeah. Um, the Lake of Storms of Ridgecrest have, have, have had a real uh, story of Everest type of weekend. Well, and you know what? <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, so on, on Friday, um, I was out and about. And so I, I was in my car when the earthquake hit and I was planning on just go, I was heading to food for less to get some groceries. So I went and then I went and got groceries and I, and I, as I was, pushing my car to the, my cart uh, to the front, I saw that, um, the lines were really long and I saw that every single person had just tons of bottled water in their cart. And I just thought like, Oh my gosh. I was like, that feels like an overreaction. I thought, eh, if you're in Northridge and there's an, and there's a couple earthquakes in a row, you, you start to be like, okay, I've seen this movie before. I know how this works. Yeah. And so immediately I'm like, well, I'm going to follow their lead. So I'm like, I didn't fill my car with bottled water, but oh, yeah. I, wa- I bought one big pack of bu- pack of bottled water. And I was just like, do you like, have an earthquake kit? No. I, and I realized oh. that I, I need to have one. Yeah. We, we, we do. My mom got us one. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. when we, well, probably when we got married, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, there's a number of things. I can't remember. What I was going to say something else, but oh yeah, this is the first one that lasted long enough for me to be nervous. There was something else I was going to say. Oh yeah. Which is that I tend to fear the big one. And I feel like, a 7.1 even though obviously the epicenter was a long way uh, away like almost halfway to Vegas it seems like they felt yeah. in Vegas too um, it's, it's cra- that's crazy yeah um, uh, it did ease my fears a little bit about like okay I, I think I can weather uh, this but then you know the difference between a 6.4 and a 7.1 is actually like it builds on itself it's not like right. it's not just it's it's, uh, it's like compound it's interest just seven clicks bigger yeah, yeah. um but the, yeah, the last thing I was going to say is having places like Los Angeles, 
Well, Angelina was like to talk a big game about being blasé about earthquakes, like, yeah. oh, we let it roll off our back or, uh, or whatever. But, uh, and I had the same thing the one time I was in New Orleans when there was a hurricane coming. You, yeah. People in that part of the world are like, ah, we've seen, they pretend right. until it actually happens. And rightfully, people cannot stop, ta- Los Angeles cannot stop talking about the earthquakes. Yeah. Uh, as evidenced by you and, you and I doing it right here. Yeah. Although, admittedly, after the first one, because I, as I mentioned, uh, or as I will mention in our Patreon episode. Um, as you will have mentioned. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, so, uh, time's folding in on itself. Um, I was I was teaching my students from Italy uh, when it hit, when the 4th when the, the of July one hit, and, um, and they didn't know what to do, and, and I myself... It's weird. I wasn't thinking in terms of, oh, I should reassure them and I should tell them, okay, everyone get on your under your desks. I was thinking in terms of an Angelino and I wasn't actually that panicky about it. I was just standing and I was just like, I was like, oh, everybody, hey, it's an earthquake. And I was saying it almost like it's a novelty, just kind of assuming like it'll be done in a moment. Yeah. And so let's going. just wait until it's done. Yeah. And then it was. And, uh, but these were the longest ones I've experienced, <laughs> as I said. I still think that the one from a few years ago that happened at like 6 a.m. and woke and woke me up. That was the thing is it woke both me and Jen up in bed. And that one, maybe that feels like the biggest one because it was jarring because I was asleep. Um, But certainly that the one when I was in my car, I think from a couple days ago, that one definitely got my attention and it did and it was fairly long all right we uh speaking of fairly long we have a big episode to get to yeah but before we do yeah um i did want to tell everybody about um our patreon um it is available at two t- previously only this two tiers patreon.com slash battleship retention you can also click right. out into battleship retention.com exactly um so we did have two tiers there is the five dollar petty officer and then the ten dollar uh admiral and the five dollar um, now gets you four extra episodes a month yes the ten dollar gets you four extra episodes with video so you got audio or yeah. video or audio and video if you want right um and it gets you access to our uh, back catalog of premium episodes all exactly. commentaries yeah. and other such things we've done so, so what's this new tier then this new one i've been uh, thinking of it i'm try. i gotta look up i was thinking of just calling it swabby uh which is like the person that swabs the decks yeah which i'm pretty sure petty officers do but i like the idea of just calling it swabby um and so <clears throat> Uh, and between yeah. between announcing this and then posting it, I That's need to actually find a graphic. That's the lowest rank on a ship that I can think of that isn't an offensive term. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, all right. Let's uh, let's not head down that path. But um, so essentially, uh, what I thought was, you know, maybe people don't want to spend five bucks to try, you know, to try the, you know, these new episodes. So here's what it is: it's going to be two dollars per month, and for that you will get one new episode per month. Uh, it might come out at different, at different times because, yeah, uh, up to Tyler's discretion. Yeah. Which like, episode you get the types of episodes that we do. Uh, we do list episodes where we pick a, a year at random or rather the randomizer picks the year for us. Yeah. And then we talk about our five favorite movies of that year. We do a mailbag. We do our TV journal. We do uh, a fun game where we, uh, guess the, like the celebrity sightings or yeah. as many questions as it takes exactly in the case of uh, one upcoming yeah. one <laughs> um and so 
so they're they tend to be a bit more fun. Uh, they're about forty five minutes each. So if you wanted to try out uh, the Battleship Retention Patreon for a, a low low price, uh, uh-huh. you can you can. Uh, be a part of the Swabby tier, uh, and uh, for two dollars a month, you would have access to one episode per one new episode per month, as well as uh, it's it's retroactive as well. So you would get one episode per the last you know three four months three or four months. Three, yeah. So you'd immediately have access to four episodes, and then you'd get one episode a month. And then if you wanted to upgrade to the the petty officer yeah. or the admiral, you can do that as well. Yeah, this is a little uh, yeah, it's like. Uh, when they have, you go to a beer bar and they have the the smaller glass, so you can. It's like sure, a, it's a sample. Yeah. yeah, it's not a free sample though. But at two no. bucks, come on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash battleship retention or just click on the link at battleshipretention.com. Mm. I also want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today I was listening to the new album uh, by uh, st- Black Metal fans are going to uh, know how to pronounce this. I'm not a big enough Black Metal fan to know. Uh, Abath? Abath? It's basically like the word Sabbath without the S. Anyway, uh, and he, it's a one-man outfit. Uh, That's the name of the outfit. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, Has a new album called Outstrider uh, that I was listening to. It sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds, uh, and those are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one-third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. It is the first week of July. Half of 2019 is in our rear view. And we are going to do something that I've wanted to. I don't know. We've never done this before. I've always wanted to do this. Um, and I would say the reason we haven't done it will be highlighted by your contributions. Yes. <laughs> is that you and I tend not to be that caught up at this point in the year. Right. I've done a better job this year, so that's kind of... And also, we have right. um, uh, a guest joining us um, who I know keeps up on movies. So um, I've done a better job. So uh, we're going to talk about our top fives of the year so far. And joining us to pat out our paltry uh, <laughs> selections is Battleship Retention Editor-at-Large, Scott Nye. It's just easier if you keep up as it goes you guys pack them into the end of the year you know how hard that is yeah and I'm, that's why that's why i'm getting keep a good gallop going why i'm getting better at that although the, i still have the problem and we'll talk about this because i a lot of my favorite movies that have come out in america in 2019 so right. far i think of as 2018 movies oh right you have so that whole. i'm gonna do at the end i will mention some of those i'm gonna hold off mentioning them now because i think because you are not following that rule, Scott. I think you and I might have some overlap yeah. on that. Well, but there's but, also stuff that I saw in 2018 that hasn't come out yet in 2019. Uh, yes, we should also do that at the end. Okay. <laughs> some stuff that we stuff that has released at 2019 yeah. release dates that we're looking forward to that we know we've seen. Yeah. I don't know if you have any that are coming out. Nope. Um, yeah, I guess that's... Well, you've seen Lion King? No, that's this no, week. No, that's this week. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you. I guess you haven't. Um, but let's just get started. And so, Tyler... Do you have any introductory uh, Here's the deal. statement, introductory comments? Yeah. All right. Um, I have an opening statement. Uh, <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. Um, you know, let me uh, consult my lawyer as I cover the microphone, <laughs> as I yeah. uh, unfold my statement. Um, yeah. So uh, I, essentially, here's the situation. Um, I am uh, fairly new in my career. 
Right. Um, and every semester is different. All right. I'm not at a point where I have a full time teaching job. It's different from one semester to the next. And that and then because I, I'm not a full time salaried teacher, that means that during the summer I also have to do a fair amount of hustling. And uh, so like right now I'm teaching for this program where students from Italy come and visit Los Angeles and I lecture them about film. Um, that sounds like I'm just telling them all the things they're doing wrong, which is actually kind yeah. of true. Uh, and then I'm also, uh, I'm also getting, Apparently they make you work on the 4th of July. I know. Cause it means nothing to these Italians. Exactly. In fact, they actively say like really anti-America stuff, <laughs> which is weird. Cause I'm talking, yeah. um, uh, they say like death to America. It's really like dark stuff anyway. Um, so there's that. And then I'm also working on a, on a, a, a video project that is, I'm excited. I'm getting Very paid. Exciting. I'm getting paid to do yeah. it. And so there's that while I'm also hustling to get jobs, for the fall. Uh, so my availability to watch movies has been more limited this in the last several months. Um, it's been great. You know, I've been teaching at several colleges at this point, but it does mean that my selection of 2019 movies is, is extremely limited and I keep meaning to catch up and then something will come up and I realize the two hours that I could spend. I've also been sick for like the last two That's months. Right, you were sick a lot. So yeah. I haven't been able to like, there are movies released in the theater that I wanted to see, but yeah. I knew I would just cough all the way through them. So, um, and I wound up having to like skip out on screenings. I wanted to see it was, uh, it's been a, in many ways, a great 2019 for me personally and professionally. Right. But as far as the podcast goes, cinematically, not the best. So my top five, which is I have a, deeply questionable. You were going to, you were going to send it out, but I decided it would be fun yeah. <laughs> to yeah. see where David, David thought my ignorance, uh, <laughs> and my, un, my unprofessionalism this. would be a fun just, bit. This is, this is the result of your professionalism. This is, that's what you just got done saying. I guess so. I, that is not how I'm trying to, to color this at all. All right. I just thought it would be fun. So what, let's let's start then. What's your number five so far of 2019? All right, my number five is a movie that's still pretty good, and at least, and it's one that kicked off something of an obsession for me. Okay, it is uh, Alex Gibney's The Inventor. Oh, okay. Which is a documentary about Elizabeth Holmes and her company Theranos. Um, I had heard a little, I had heard a little bit about it beforehand. Then I saw the documentary. Um, and then that led me to listening to the entire audiobook, and then ABC News released a podcast about it, uh, both of wow. which I listened to um, as recently as this past week while I was doing other things. And uh, it's just a story I find fascinating. And I've seen it recently enough that we've talked about it on the podcast, so I don't necessarily want to repeat everything, but sure. Uh, the film is fine. It's like any Alex Gibney film. It's interesting. He's telling a story that's inherently interesting and then he doesn't get it. He doesn't really stand in the way of it, but he also doesn't dig deep either, especially now that I've listened to the audiobook and I, and there's so much more to the story that would be great to, to see. Um, the film just feels a little bit incomplete and it feels, it doesn't feel content. It feels complacent. It feels as though he is, he's like, okay, we have enough to hook people. And that's, and that scene, that's kind of where he stopped as Alex Gibney often does. Mm -hmm. But within that, the story is still inherently fascinating. He, as a filmmaker does make, he makes movies that are pleasurable to watch and pleasurable to behold 
often maybe for the ra- for the wrong reason because he often creates a sense of superiority within the audience so that we feel like we are better than the subjects we're looking mm-hmm. at. Um, so like this is my number five and clearly I'm kind of conflicted yeah. about it. Um, but here's the thing. I, I heard that, um, it's been an essentially announced that there's going to be a narrative film of this story starring Jennifer Lawrence and directed by Adam McKay. So that's going to make me think this documentary is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I think that project's on hold, actually. Is it on there hold? There haven't okay. been any announcements about it. And then Hulu announced they're doing a series with Kate Middleton. Wait. No. Kate, Kate, who's Kate Middleton? Not, no. Kate Middleton's yeah. the princess. Kate uh, uh, Bosworth. <laughs> McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. Yes. Yeah, I had heard that. I That's what I had heard about. And then I was looking on Wikipedia yeah. uh, for the book, and it said it's going to be adapted by Adam McKay. I didn't know that was on hold, and I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be... I just haven't heard anything new about it, and it was announced before Vice even got in production, so oh, I, okay. I can't imagine it's on anyone's... Kate McKinnon, when I heard that, yeah. I was thrilled. Okay. Because I think... I think it'll give her a lot to do, not just comedically, right. but also I think as an actress, it would actually provide her with a fair amount of depth because one of the fascinating things that they don't really dig into in Alex Gibney's film, which seems like the kind of thing he would latch onto, is that um, Elizabeth Holmes, ha- everyone mo- mentions that she has a surprisingly deep voice. Okay. People who've known her are like, she didn't always have that voice. Huh. Like, it seems to be a voice that everyone's like, Hey, she's a female in a, in a male dominated industry. So maybe this is her way of kind of making herself seem less feminine. But a lot Mm. of people from workers to old friends of hers agree that like, Oh, she's putting on that voice. Interesting. And she like never, she like never drops it only occasionally when she's like really tired or drunk. Do people start to hear this (laughs) other thing? (laughs) So it's like, I I think it'd be, I would love that. I love that it would be a series and not a movie. I think they would, that would really be effective. Um, but yeah, so the documentary is interesting insofar as it's an entry point to the story itself. And I was very happy that I listened to the, the audio book. Um, so my number five is a movie that I think is interesting, but only okay. That's Alex Gibney. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, my number five, speaking of people putting on weird voices, is Jordan Peele's Us, um, which I really loved when I first saw it, and I've been unable to really shake from my head, and I think it uh, builds on the director talent that he established in Get Out and goes to much weirder and more interesting places and is really fundamental. I mean, it's kind of like his The Birds, not only because of how it ends, which is very similar to how The Birds ends, um, but also because it seems to dig up something about the characters that it can't quite put its finger on. And even if it comes to a conclusion that some might find neat and tidy, I think what it digs out about the dark underside that we all kind of carry that we don't acknowledge and we maybe try to live with in some way is really interesting. It's just a really thrilling, funny, uh, pretty scary time at the movies. I saw it on a Tuesday with a full crowd and everyone was having a ball and it was a blast to watch. And I, I know Tyler's not into the movie. I am not, uh, but he is wrong. Uh, I think I, feel like I have one later that Scott didn't like. So okay. I'm forward to uh, yeah. I mean, the I first think 45 minutes are genuinely very scary. And then it becomes, I think it it's overtaken by theme at that point. It, thankfully the, the acting is great. That's what I was going to say. It carries us through whatever else happens. Lupita Nyong'o is pretty amazing. She's, in it. she's marvelous. Um, what's the turning point? We think it gets overtaken by theme. I think when it, when it, 
when it is the doppelganger family, yeah. it's just about that, and they split off and kind of essentially pair off. Yeah, I think that works really well. But it's when they branch out and show the larger story at play, which is not inherently bad. But I think they he he decides to go more broad with his theme, which allows him to explore deeper things, which is great. But in doing so, I think it just becomes less certainly less frightening and less suspenseful and it just feels like now it feels almost it almost feels like at that point he's world building and not right. actually telling a, a scary story i think the world building comes and starts to be a bit of an issue once she discovers the escalator um that's definitely for sure but yeah. once they start building out like i really liked all the tim heidecker and elizabeth moss stuff I, especially because they're doing such interesting work they um, do. I, I would like to see maybe like one more scene of getting to know them. Sure. So I feel I some that. level of engagement with yeah. the characters, but yeah, it's, I, and that's the thing is that people think it's neat and tidy. I actually think the ending is remarkably disorganized and not in the way I like. Um, maybe it's that balance that I like. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but Lupita, the acting all around is great. Winston Duke is pretty great too. <laughs> it's such a specific yeah. type of character that is just delightful, and he's funny without it just turning into a nonstop joke of a character. Yeah, they don't turn him into like a dopey dad yeah. from a serial commercial yeah. or something like that. <laughs> all right, uh, I have not seen us. Um, no, so number five for me is Ritesh Batra's photograph. Um, I had really oh, enjoyed... Oh, right. I was trying to remember what movie this was, but I haven't seen it, but... Uh, I had really enjoyed his last film, which was called The Lunchbox, which was a very much a high-concept sort of romance, romance movie slash romantic comedy, but with so many cultural specifics that you don't normally see because it took place, uh, it took place in India and has to do with the Indian lunch delivery service, which mm-hmm. is a whole... Uh, a whole uh, subculture. I know there. all about it. Um, what's that? I don't know anything about oh, it. You don't? Okay. It's, it's, you should read up on it. They did, uh, Anthony Bourdain talked about it back on No Reservations. That's when I first heard about it. Anyway, so I really liked the lunchbox, so I was very excited to see Photograph. And Photograph, again, is has a very... It has a hook. It has a high concept. It's still it's a romance, but it also it, it almost seems to intentionally undercut the high conceptness of it by being so subdued and so quiet whereas if the, if there were a hollywood remake of this you'd have stock character types and the and 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 uh and and big broad jokes but the the premise of photograph is that there's a uh, a guy who's he lives in um i'm trying to remember where it takes place uh i think it's mumbai um he's from a smaller village he makes his living at the uh gates of India, whatever the big uh, monument is, he just hangs out with a camera and takes tourists' photographs and they pay him for a photograph. And um, he takes a picture of this one woman who's a, who's a local and is um, uh, from a sort of upper middle class family. Class has a lot to do with this. Uh, and then she walks off without ever taking the picture. And then later when his grandmother is hounding him for not being married yet, he says, no, I have a girlfriend here. I'll send you a picture of her and sends a picture. And then the grandma says, great, I'm coming to Mumbai to meet her. <laughs> and so then this guy has to track down this, this, this woman that she, that he took a picture of and convince her to pose as his girlfriend. Again, very high concept thing. You can see a Hollywood movie doing this, but Apart from the premise being high concept, everything about the execution is very ground level, very character focused, very quiet. The movie is incredibly quiet and subdued. And then occasionally there are because he um, 
there are there are funny moments. Funny moments. The when the grandma comes to town, she is the comic relief you expect. He lives uh, he lives with a bunch of other people from from his small town. It's part of the joke is that he lives in this huge city, Mumbai, one of the most popular cities. And everywhere he goes in his little neighborhood, people are like, "Your grandma's asked me when are you going to get married?" Like everyone knows uh, his small town. He lives in the one room with like six other guys, and when the grandma comes, she stays with them too. And there's a lot of like group comedy uh, out of that dynamic, but mostly it's very sweet and very quiet and very also very aware of of um the class dynamics that it's that 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 it's playing with and ends in a way that i found absolutely um breathtaking and and moving but uh again if i'm comparing it to if there were a hollywood remake this is not the ending that it would uh, at all end up with but um yeah this was uh one of the one of my favorite films that i saw at at sundance this year um Richard Bachra's photograph. All right. Okay. Next up, my number four of the year, and I have to assume it's going to stay. I'm <laughs> uh, being sarcastic, of course. Uh, that is David F. Sandberg's Shazam, um, which, you know what? I'll be honest. I like it more now than when I first reviewed it. Um, and I, and I, it, it is a flawed film, um, as superhero movies often are. But what it's doing and the, where it goes right, it goes very right. Um, specifically, like I'm, I'm put in mind, uh, David. I think you will remember this, but this might be a situation where Scott, you might be a little bit too young because it was a commercial campaign All right, when I out. when I was a kid, and it had to be had to do with drinking milk and okay. making you big and strong. Oh yeah, that's you know, right, yeah. Okay, so essentially, like you see two kids, okay, and it's like, oh, here's an older brother, and he like picks on his younger sister, and it's like go ahead and pick on me now, brother or whatever. Uh, she doesn't say brother. She's not Hulk Hogan, but like but she'll, she, she'll say like, she'll call him like ba- she'll call him like big brother, yeah, like to yeah. establish the relationship. And then she's like, but I'm drinking milk and it's going to build up my bones. And then you see her like get older and, and become like a young, like athletic, uh, like 20 something woman. So she's really playing the long game here. <laughs> right. And then like, he's staying the same, I'm like, Hey, milk commercial, he's going to grow too. Uh, but anyway, and so, and the, and it's weird that the last shot is her breaking his legs, right? It's not. Yeah, yeah. she's like <laughs> this way. She's like yeah. a professional wrestler. He's still right. a little child. Yeah, and she's just and like she's popping, just beating the hell out of him. Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> but that's the thing is, it's that idea. It plays very much to that. Like this, the movie reminds me of that commercial campaign. It like because that those commercials played to kids who felt like they didn't belong and that the world was like going to beat up on them or that they're smaller and more, and they find the world more intimidating. And so, uh, here we have a character who is, who was abandoned by his parents. He's going from one foster home to the next. Um, and he just feels so directionless and worthless and he has nothing really going for him. Uh, and then the villain is, is a guy who was born into a very rich family, but his father did not like him. His older brother was abusive to him. So you have, and throughout the entire film, you have these characters that are just sort of on the fringe of society and they, and everybody is looking for like, how can I get this advantage and what do I do with it when I have it? The concept of this power fantasy and while I think the villain played by Mark Strong is is not super well developed, essentially he gets one type of power and then the, the kid gets another type of power and he becomes Shazam. And it's that standard idea of like with great power comes great responsibility. But what it underneath that is this idea. It's like just because the world has beaten you up, 
doesn't mean that now that you have power, you can mm-hmm. fight back. In fact, your your ability to restrain yourself from doing that is what makes you a hero as opposed to a villain. And so the film does that really well and explores it really well. Um, I do think that it it's it's kind of it's kind of a sloppy script uh, and. It's episodic in a way that that doesn't really work for really any kind of superhero movie. Um, But the performances are good and and it was a pleasant enough experience. And it does find a way. Like I said, it's not exploring anything remarkably new within the genre, but it feels new. It feels fresh the way Sandberg approaches it. So, um, again, this is going to be the case with every film I talk about. It is a flawed movie, but it's one that is still enjoyable within its genre. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, I do think Mark Strong and the guy, the kid who plays the young Billy Batson, uh, are huge weak points in the movie. Mm. Yeah, and I think par- I think the issue with the kid, as opposed to Zach Levi, is like ostensibly they're the same person, right? They don't, but feel they're like- giving two very different performances. Yeah, and. I'm tempted to fault the kid more because he's such a drip. Whereas Zach Levi at least is yeah. excited to be there. As opposed to the, the friend. Yeah, totally. He's great. Yeah. He was in uh, it. Okay. And he was great in it. Um, I liked him a lot too. And he's also in a situation where he's actually, he's in the same position as Billy Batson, except he is also disabled. Right. And he's cho- and you can actively see he has chosen to, to attempt to cope with his right. situation through humor, but he is still very scared and very angry. I feel like it does all that pretty well, but it definitely has its, its weak points. Yeah. But it, the final battle pushed it over the edge to positive for me. Cause that's yeah. so well done. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention like, I don't want to spoil anything, right. but you know, there's all kinds of situations where there's essentially not a doppelganger, but there's like a double, like here's yeah. this person, you know, and then here's this double and Adam Brody shows up yeah. and just, vi- just visually the perfect cast. <laughs> it's a hundred percent on point. Yeah. Like when I saw that, I was like, well, that's, you don't get better than that. So, <clears throat> All right. Uh, my number four is Olivier Assis's nonfiction. Uh, is this on your list, David? This would be on my 2018 right. films list. Classic. Well, Classic it's actually David. a 2019 <laughs> film, at least here in the United States of America. While I we know, still have them, David, we should celebrate the films that we have. <laughs> <laughs> David Look, is I'm a citizen you, of the world, uh, Scott. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you, I understand how this is frustrating to people. <laughs> But back in 2006, when people were putting Army, Sha- Army of Shadows on the list, it broke something in me. No, that's a bridge I, too far. There's a careful balancing act that you have to establish. Okay. You have to establish various rules for and these maybe, situations. And maybe someday I'll be able to find that line. Yeah. But right now it feels like putting something that came out anywhere in 2018 <laughs> on the list is a slippery slope to putting Army of Shadows okay. on my list. Right. Um, so this stars Juliette Binoche. She plays an actress on a popular kind of... CSI type show. She is a. I saw the movie twice. I still can't remember how she defines her character. She's not a cop, yeah. But she's like a crisis management expert or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, she is married to Guillaume. Is that who you say Guillaume Canet? I don't know. It uh, sounds right. That's the actor's name. Uh, he plays a publisher who has turned a prestigious but flailing publishing house uh, around, mostly by publishing more popular affair to balance out their more prestigious stuff. Uh, both of them are having affairs. Uh, she is having an affair with their close friend, uh, played by Vincent McCong, 
I really butchered his last name, uh, who is himself an author that uh, Julie Binish's husband publishes, but whose latest book they refused because he keeps writing about his sex life and spicing it up in really uh, somewhat pervy but very amusing ways. Uh, and he, in turn, is married to a woman who's a political operative. Political operative makes some work. She works on a political campaign. Um, she is not having an affair with anybody, but seems like she probably could if she didn't end up getting sleezed out by her boss. Um, <laughs> so all these people are hopping into bed with one another and uh, along the way discussing the state of especially publishing, but technology as a whole. And while I think a lot of especially initial reviews felt that the film was too focused on like the publishing industry and just spouting off various theories about where we are as a society. What I think is really smart about what the movie does and what Olivia says does a lot of the time is he really roots uh, their perspectives and character concerns. And you can see the ways that various characters form these seemingly objective opinions based on who they're romantically involved with and how they feel towards that person. You know, you know Juliet Binoche is a little bit more of a classicist as is Vincent McCong's character who, uh, as an author wants his books to be read, you know, in physical form and loves old media. So are they sleeping together because they share these opinions or do they share these opinions because they're sleeping together? And I think that is kind of the more, well, I think that's more what Olivia says is interested in is how we form these opinions rather than the opinions themselves and how that ends up shaping the world around us and how we see it. And he doesn't come to any satisfactory conclusion because how could you? And plus this is a French film. Um, but it's really funny and really well done along the way. And I think very thoughtfully executed without really putting a stamp on how finely written it is. It's uh, this is going to be a preview. So I'm going to say about another movie later, but sometimes I feel like when a movie is a comedy, I feel like I, I, I feel pressured maybe to come up with reasons other than it's really funny right. for recommending it. And there are a lot of reasons with nonfiction, but it's also really, it's funny. also really fun. Yeah. It's uh, I left. It's, it's, it's not the most I've left in a theater this year. See my number two later. Um, but it's, it's definitely up there and it's certainly the only movie of the year that had me laughing at a running joke about a Michael Hanukkah movie, <laughs> <laughs> um, which tells you the kind of people it's pitched toward. Right. I mean, it's probably um, the only movie that has a running joke about a, about Michael, a Michael Hanukkah, Hanukkah movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. hang on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I haven't seen Toy Story 4. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, and it also, that running joke also involves Star Wars, the force awakens, right. which is the kind of movie i mean i am already predisposed to taking the taking the piss out of the star wars you know uh uh fans but like within this type of movie just the phrase star wars the force totally. is a joke it's so ridiculous yeah um that uh, it gets you get a lot of laughs out of that too it also pulls off the thing that i'm always on the fence about in movies in which a famous actor or actress is referred to who's in the movie is also referred to. Yeah. I think they do it at just the right moment. Yes. It's very near the end. Yeah. And make a reference to getting Juliette Binoche to do the audiobook for right. one, of the, one of the books. Um, while, while Juliette Binoche is sitting right there. Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Oh, right. the, the only other thing I want to mention with it is that it shot on 16 millimeter. And while this might be me reading too much into it, the fact that it will almost necessarily only be shown digitally also kind of oh, yeah. <laughs> digs at it's kind of divide between the modern technology and, uh, more analog forms. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was purposeful, but it feels like, I don't know. There's something there. All right. Another, um, uh, very funny, uh, movie from, 
the other side of the Atlantic, uh, is my number four, and that's Stephen Merchant's Fighting With My Family. Oh, yeah. Um, which I will also... Uh, full disclosure, this is kind of the placeholder for the other... British feel-good inspirational movie with a terrific lead female performance, Wild Rose, which is a better movie, but yeah. it's a 2018 movie in my <laughs> in my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely don't sleep on Wild Rose, and uh, I can't wait until Jesse Buckley is the biggest star in the world, and I can tell you, I can say I told you so. Uh, ever since <laughs> Beast. Um, anyway, that's not the movie we're talking. About. We're talking about fighting with my, is, is fighting with my family, which uh, is. I, I feel like this is going to be. This is kind of a. Um, a trend with the last two movies, which is that it's, uh, or this movie now, and, and and photograph are both kind of recognizable structures um, that I think photograph intentionally sort of undercuts, and this one just hits every note, but does it with authenticity uh, and with honesty and with feeling for the characters and the situation um, for, for the most part. It's got a lot of great uh, jokes and laughs in it. It's got a great lead performance from Florence Pugh. Um, also, the I forget his name already, who played her brother. He's great. Um, you've, we all, we've all seen yeah, this? Yeah, here's the yeah, deal. Well, I, I, for, I forgot to put it on my list. Like yeah. I forgot to include it in my 2019 list. It oh. would definitely be in my top five, but oh. I'm not going to add it right now because that would throw everything off that I've already sure. done. Okay. So uh, it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah. I think all the performances are good, but those two especially. Certainly, yeah. Well, the movie wouldn't work if they weren't as good yeah. as they are. Yeah, but yeah. that's well, that's the thing is I feel like a lesser movie wouldn't ha- quite have had the heart for him True. that that it did like it could have been like this is inspirational for her but it also recognizes that within every inspirational story someone somewhere is disappointed yeah. and maybe there's an envy and that can lead to bitterness but there is under under that a heartbreak and for i sure. think the film does both it, it does like it manages to be inspirational and this other thing at the same time without either one overwhelming the other um and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah i i there's all sorts of things. I, I, I laughed. I cried. There's a lot of great jokes. I, I also like having uh, a comedian direct a comedy, even if it's not, it's not a pure comedy. Yeah. But I think there's now I haven't seen Drive Across Concrete, but I would say this is the best Vince Vaughn has been in years. He is great. Because um, I think having someone as who's as sure handed with the comedy as Stephen Merchant doesn't leave Vince Vaughn to flounder like he did in like the Neighborhood Watch movie where he's like. Like he's probably he's the best part of the movie, but so much is just like turning on the camera and let him be Vince Vaughn, and it, it feels kind of sweaty. Richard Aoyagi is pretty funny in that uh, as well. I forgot he was in that. Yeah. I mostly remember the dynamic between Vince Vaughn and Jonah Hill being the only part that I really liked. But that's not what we're that saying. and when they're shooting uh, that alien over and over. Uh, I, I was a sucker for that <laughs> that bit. Uh, is that our friend Doug Jones? Oh uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that's when I'm not here to talk about the watch. Um, uh, Nobody is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that has always been true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not just now. Um, well, one thing the watch gave us is uh, um, what's his name being on uh, Last Man on Earth. Uh, what's his name? The oh, Todd yeah. Last Man on Earth. Mel Rodriguez is that his name? Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. Because he and Will Forte played the security guards together in that, yeah. and he wrote the role for him on Last Man on Earth. Um, or actually, he told a funny story at Comic Con <laughs> where he kept he kept writing the role, being like writing it for like I need to get someone like Mel. And then yeah. we're like, oh, right. Mel's an actor. Yeah. <laughs> there is someone yeah. exactly like Mel. Anyway, uh, going back to what I was saying about Vince Vaughn, like he's got a couple of great Vince Vaughn type lines, which is like, uh, you don't get to meet the rock. What do you make wish kids? It's a very Vince yeah. Vaughn yeah. type of type of line, but he doesn't, it doesn't lay on too thick. The only, 
the only thing I think I mentioned this in the movie journal that really that took me out of the movie is there's this there's a scene between Vince Vaughn and The Rock yeah. or in Dwayne Johnson that clearly felt like someone on the money side being you need a shot with both of our two biggest stars <laughs> yeah. in the movie together. There's no reason for them to be in the movie together, uh, and yet they didn't even use it in the trailer. It felt like it was a shot made for the trailer. Exactly. Yeah. I went and watched the trailer. I was like, and it wasn't in there. Anyway, I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, laughed, cried. Florence Pugh was great. Okay. Uh, all right. So my number three, of course, now everything has an asterisk because uh, fighting with my family would be in here somewhere, but, um, <coughs> is, uh, uh, Avengers Endgame, a film that is, I would venture to say deeply flawed. Um, but there were certain emotional beats that it had to hit and it hit them very, very well. Um, and, in, and there are some that I didn't realize it had to hit, but it did. And when it did hit them, it hit them in such a way that I was like, of course, that's perfect. Like, I did not, I mean, spoilers, whatever. You yeah, know. everyone's but like seen it, who cares? Yeah. Uh, except for those people who were at that, uh, right. did you see when oh, Tom Holland was on, uh, was that Graham Norton or something? No. Uh, yeah. He was promoting Homecoming, okay. and he talked, okay, spoilers, yeah. he mentioned Tony Stark being dead, yeah. and the people in the audience were like, oh! <laughs> and it was like two months after it came yeah. out. Everyone um, knows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like, I, I wasn't expecting Captain America to get that hammer. And so when it happens, it winds up being a payoff from something, you know, totally. a setup in Avengers Age of Ultron. But you didn't realize that that was a setup that was ever going to be paid off. It and probably wasn't designed it, that way, which is right. what's so good about it. And then when it does pay off, it just feels so very right. Yeah. And then it's, you know, so moments like that. And then I really liked everything they do with Tony Stark at the beginning, certainly when he's like, just so angry and agitated. And then at the end, I think that works for me as well. Like they, you know, the film had to have a pretty big sense of finality, certainly for certain characters, but also for certain team dynamics. And I think it pulls that off the section, <coughs> excuse me, the section in the middle, which as we know is what I call the clip show, uh, has moments that work Thor with his mom works. Um, but the rest of it feels oddly clever and winking. We are just like, you almost want to say like, well, you know that half the population is dead, right? Maybe let's not be so glib. Um, I understand you still need the sense of humor, but it just it's it just felt really uneven. That's that very section funny because my big problem with the movie is that it wasn't funny enough. I felt like <laughs> it was too dour and too waterlogged. But, you, but that's the thing is there's a way to combine the two, but there's the way in which it is trying to be funny doesn't quite work for me. And so when you're replacing something that could with something that doesn't, that's where it seems less funny. It's certainly attempting to be funny a lot. Um, but then there's other things. They make choices that are funny at first, but also there's a lot going on. Like they make a very specific choice with Thor mm-hmm. that a, you liked a lot of the Thor stuff. I, I did, and I wasn't expecting to. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea of, of fat Thor, and so many people said, like, oh, it's body shaming. Like, the people had a lot of different reactions to it. But upon seeing the film a second time, and I thought this the first time, but the second time, it's just like, this is a guy who gained a lot of weight, grew out his hair and his beard, and is constantly wearing sunglasses while getting, while in a 
pretty much a drunken stupor all the time. I cannot think of a bigger uh, of a better example of someone trying to get away from themselves mm. at that moment. And it really and even though they play it for laughs, like underneath, once again, kind of with fighting with my family, there's a, a, a real heartbreak that Chris Hemsworth is also playing. And uh, that's the thing is it's it is it is not a perfect film. And I have big problems with the fact that the Thanos they're fighting is not the Thanos we know basically. Right. Um, but I still, the film was still pretty satisfying for me. Yeah. I think it's pretty stellar and the fat Thor thing's a big reason why actually the fact that they yeah. stick with it. And that's where I don't think it is body shaming because I think the body shaming thing would have been if he like when he's like, I'm still worthy. And then like lightning abs. Yeah. But no, he's still the same guy. Yeah. I mean, and it, there's nothing that doesn't take anything away from him. Yeah. He's still, he still fights and still, yeah. yeah. And he somehow looks even more when he, when he's fat Thor, that sounds such a mean thing to say, <laughs> but like when he's fat Thor and then he gets the, the Thor armor back on right. and his beard is all braided and all that. In that moment, it's like, you look more badass now than when you're in <laughs> totally. shape. This is exciting to me. Um, yeah. And the film made me actually glad to see all the Thor and all the Captain America movies, which I never thought any movie would <laughs> yeah. make me. Uh, yeah. I'm, looking for, uh, I'm on the fence about the, for calling him fat Thor thing, because on the one hand I'm with you guys, I'm really glad they stuck to it. Right. On the other hand, I wish that there had been more done with, I, I guess yeah. so. I just wanted the movie to be more fun. Infinity war was so much fun and I didn't have fun with this one. But speaking of fun, uh, and Thor, why I'm really looking forward to the idea of Thor being in Garden Guardians Three. Yes, yeah, that's great. Some of my best, some of my favorite stuff from Infinity War, which I've never seen like three or four times, um, is is uh, Thor and Rabbit, Thor and Thor and Rocket, <laughs> sure. uh, and the idea of them uh, for a whole movie. Yeah, sounds uh, really appealing to me. All right. Scott, uh, yeah, my number three is a movie I doubt you guys have seen because not many people, unfortunately, have seen it. Uh, it's a Swedish science fiction film called Anira. I've seen it. No, you haven't. I, I know that voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the directorial debut of Pella Kegerman. I know you didn't see it when we got the press screening invite. Um, Maybe I was busy. I don't must know. Because I was too, but I was uh, yeah, frustrated. That Some, a lot of these movies, they, especially the new art stuff, they screen at like 11 a.m. at the new art. Oh, right. Who the hell yeah. can go to that? It's an odd choice when they do that kind of thing. Like, I, I mean, understand. it makes sense. No one's using the theater, but still drag. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's a directorial debut of Pella Kegerman and Hugo Lilia, I think. Uh, you know, Swedish name. Uh, it is based on a 1956 poem by Harry Martinson, uh, and it is about a kind of long distance touristy expedition to Mars. Uh, they, it's a space shuttle basically it makes this run that takes, you know, however long space shuttle runs take three weeks a month. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so every, there's kind of a routine established with it. And it's this gigantic ship that has like a shopping center and like yoga studios, workout rooms. It's basically a place people are designed to, it's like a cruise ship. They live there for a while while they're on their way to go see something else. Um, while they're on the course towards Mars, uh, it gets knocked off course by like an asteroid or something, and they essentially it knocks out their system so they can't get back on course. So they're just free floating in space, and there's no way to really rescue the ship. There's nothing they can really do about it. They have a vague hope that they convey to the passengers for a way to get back on, but that quickly becomes apparent that that's a distant possibility that probably is unlikely to ever happen. Uh, so the passengers gradually realize that they're just on a course to nowhere and are just going to die in the reaches of space unless they can try to find some way to harvest the little food that they have and like create a whole new society out there until 
they can land somewhere more habitable. But they don't do that. Uh, the film is incredibly, deeply, pervasively bleak about uh, the trajectory humanity is on, uh, not only within the course of the film, but I think within the world itself, you know, within the world we live on, where we're facing the inevitable uh, cataclysm of climate change, but are both unable and unwilling to kind of course correct and build a more sustainable future. The film routinely comes back to the children on the ship who aren't really characters within the film, but are just kind of uh, a pervasive presence, moreover, um, that the adults aren't really concerned about building a future for them or for themselves or for the babies that they're having along the way. They're just going to keep floating and keep hoping that something's going to fix it for them. And it just keeps going with that and takes that honestly, like as far as you can with that idea. It's a hardcore science fiction film that I think digs at some real wow. truths about uh, humanity's tendencies. And it's really, really good and really, really bleak. That sounds really enticing to me. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, number three for me. Although I, I'm wondering if I'd be putting a pin in it because I might show up on someone else's list, is John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum? No, no, no? no I didn't like it that much. I liked it a lot. Um, okay, here's uh, interesting because you when you, you and I were talking about doing this uh, episode, you said there's been only one great American film of 2019. I assumed this is the one you were talking about. <laughs> no, I was talking about us. Uh, wow. No, it's definitely John Wick chapter three <laughs> Parabellum for me. Um, certainly the most fun I've had, uh, in, in a theater. Um, yeah, probably the most fun I've had, uh, in, in 2019. Uh, and I, I just, I, I, like I said on the movie journal when I talked about it is, uh, I do, I, I do with, with chapter two and chapter three, I have to kind of readjust and realize this isn't, this doesn't have that much to do with the emotional story of the first John wick. Um, in, in this case, in both cases, it's really just further excuses to have crazy set pieces and, and choreography and, uh, and, um, uh, Chad Stahelski is, that's the director, right? Sounds good. Um, yeah, I think really knows not only how to choreograph and stage fights as a, as a stuntman, but he knows how to how to how to present them. Um, and, it, you know, it's sort of uh, going back to something I said about nonfiction and I'll say about other movies that when a movie's trying to be a comedy, being funny is uh, the number one thing. It's, it's good enough. And I was thinking about. Um, so for the L.A. Online Film Critics Society, we did a half year awards Okay, um, <laughs> and uh, one of the people I nominated for best supporting actress was Holly Berry, because I think uh, when you're an act, making an action movie, part of the performance is being good at the action. Yeah, stuff, totally. You know, and so um, in the traditional ways we tend to think about great acting, I don't know if Holly Berry. I think Holly Berry is good in the movie. I don't know that she's uh, you know plumbing depths or doing that sort of thing. But for what the movie needed her to be and needed her to do uh, as a physical presence, I thought she was terrific. Um, it's a, a very long sequence that she's in. It's the highlight of the movie for me. The really? Morocco, That's the, the low Mor light of the movie. Uh, the Morocco sequence? Yeah, I think it's really weak. Oh, the Morocco stuff is the best for me. Um, 
and it's a long sequence and she holds her own against uh, or with Keanu Reeves. Uh, why do you find that to be the uh... Uh, one is I didn't find her particularly convincing at the action. I, Interesting. I, and maybe it's because uh, she's the only woman in the scene and there's like some pulling punches when she's facing off against the guys. But I I could feel the distance between the limbs and the faces or wherever, you know, they're connecting. I mean, the best part of that sequence is that there's numerous dogs just chomping on guys' dicks. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) As attack moves. Dogs eating dicks. Um, Yeah. That's, uh, but also the filmmaking is a little more scattershot and not as elegant, I think as the rest of the film. Um, and certainly by the time John's wandering in the desert, it, that should have been such a cool sequence, but it just feels so choppy and, so in oh yeah, I guess I, I'm referring specifically to the action scene in the, the yeah building up to it. Yeah, after that, when he goes wandering the desert, that is that did seem like a little bit of a I don't know. It felt like they were kind of rushing to get through. Yeah, it totally. Anyway. And that's kind of how I felt about the whole sequence in general. I don't uh, know. See, I, and I, I understand what you're saying about the the finale. Certainly, when you mention elegance, there's more elegance with the, the aesthetic elegance. But I think there's for me for a John Wick movie. Yeah. Too much comedy in the in, okay. the in the finale. Too many, like uh, I, the the Iron Chef guy. He's great in the movie, <laughs> but I think at a certain point his formidability as a as a villain um, is uh, undercut by his by his his jokiness. So, but I think the movie actually played into that by. You think he's going to be the be seeing you guy at the end because there's always right. a be seeing you person that he leaves alive, <laughs> uh, and it's not. Yeah. Um, he, he does the be seeing you to the the Indonesian guys, and then when Iron Chef guy, I forget his name, but he was the host of Iron Chef America. I don't know. Okay, uh, <laughs> is he also the guy when they're sitting down and like he's kind of a big fan of John yes, Wick, yes. and he's like, we're kind of similar, you and I. Yeah, and John Wick does that. We're no, I think we're pretty different. Yeah, no, he, he the whole time well. he has a dog licking his face. Yeah. That's no, the funniest I, part of the movie to me. Yeah, he plays that one. I do like. I do like the movie that that Iron Chef guy does the is clearly dying. Yeah, does the be seeing you? Yeah, be seeing you and and John Wick's like sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, um, there's some good comedy in it. I think. Yeah, but it felt like it kind of undercut. Uh, like the Indonesian guys, sort of like in talk about pulling punches. They intentionally back off a couple times. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and that felt like it robbed some momentum for me. Uh, I don't know. Um, I like the Morocco sequence. I like Holly Berry. Anyway, now that we've spoiled large parts of genre three for you, Tyler, <laughs> I wasn't really listening. Okay. What is, uh, your arena number two already? We yeah. are. All right. So my second favorite film, the air's not turning on. I don't I know. know yeah. I don't know what to tell you. No, I'm not. You could switch it on. I did. Oh. It's not turning on. Interesting. That's a problem. Yeah. And now I'm preoccupied. So when I said I wasn't listening, I wasn't listening. Uh, Okay. So, uh, yeah, we get to a film. Speaking of action, this is a film that I recognize is not really that good in a number of ways. And yet, I will defend it up and down because I really enjoyed it. And the more I think about it, the more I like it. And that is Robert Rodriguez, Alita Battle Angel. Um, did you guys see it? No, I missed it. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Uh, I think you'd like it a lot. I'm sure I would. I think you both probably would. Yeah, I, wonder, I meant to a, catch it at the $3 yeah. theater, but I think that time has passed. Oh, I, w- I just went to the $3 theater the other day and saw The Intruder. Check out The Intruder. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to. Yeah. I really wanted to. Very much up my um, So, uh, Robert Rodriguez is just one of those directors that he's going to do what he's going to do. He has mainstream sensibilities to a point and then he will push things further than anybody would have expected. And so 
so much of the story of Alita Bat- uh, Battle Angel is um, is kind of it's got some plot holes and pe- characters do things that don't make a great deal of sense. Uh, some things feel rushed. Some things feel forced. Uh, and yet the, the world that he's created and the, the characters that he, he's created are so interesting. And the, and the visuals of the character design, um, you know, a lot of the characters, not all of them, but a lot of the characters are, you know, mocap. Um, and it's, and there are some ideas there that are actually quite disturbing. Like there are characters that are essentially a, a robot, just an entire robot body, but they have a human face on and you're not sure like, okay, so is this a robot that got access to a human face <laughs> or is this a person that has been replaced so thoroughly with robot parts that pretty much the only thing that is left is their face and brain. Um, and so there's, there's a surprising amount of disturbing material. Uh, there's a character that we view as fairly sympathetic who we know something's going to happen to this person. And then later it is revealed what is happening to that, what has happened to them. And essentially they've been reduced to like a brain and eyeballs in a jar. And that's really yeah. disturbing to think about. Um, and so that's, I wouldn't say, I'd say that maybe qualifies as body horror a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just the way that it, that it dispatches robotic and, and organic bodies is again, disturbing, but also tremendous fun. And he finds humor in it. Uh, it's, it, it is very much the Robert Rodriguez that we like and that we know. Um, and it just feels like a very uncompromising film. And the action is, yeah, sometimes they jump from one action sequence to the next with very little connective tissue. And it feels so abrupt that it almost feels impatient. But that's kind of how Rodriguez is sometimes where he's like, I don't have who cares? <laughs> who cares? Let's just get to the next thing. Um, and so while I'll absolutely acknowledge that narratively, it's kind of a mess. And. I think they make Alita maybe a little bit too indestructible by the end. Um, there's still such joy in the filmmaking and such excitement that, uh, that I, I think back on it pretty fondly. And it's a film that I find myself wishing I had seen a second time in the theater right. as well. Yeah. I want to check it out, but I wish I'd caught it in the theater for sure. Yeah. I think that came out in February, right? Uh, around there. Yeah. Yeah. I was moving then. Stupid mm. life. Stupid moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, my number two. You, do you think you'll have a chance to see it in the theater at the end of the year? No, there's no way they'd put it up. Not enough for what studio for, was it for visual effects? It was uh, Fox, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Now Disney, they don't yeah. care. Yeah. They don't okay. give a shit. Yeah. That's true. Um, my number two might be one we put a pin in, uh, the souvenir. Yeah. Let's put a pin in there. All right. So moving on to my number two, which is okay. the one that I'm ready to, to fight over because Scott didn't like it. And that's Olivia Wilde's book smart. It's fine. I didn't dislike it. It's just <laughs> sexist. That Are you a se- that's what it is. Uh, no, I, I, I would not, uh, obviously you're joking, but, um, I, I don't want to hold up book smart as like representing anything great. I think the movie, uh, in, in terms of what you're talking about, like, uh, you know, I think, yeah, people talk about it like, oh, it's the female super bad female director that yeah. it, like represents something. I, I'm, sh- if that, if you are a woman and you feel that way about it, I, I'm glad for you. That's not, I just like it cause it's really, really funny. Yeah. It's also really, um, really spry. It, it, it moves very quickly. The editing is, is great. Uh, Olivia Wilde is not just 
pointing the camera at funny people, um, uh, even though she could at certain at, at certain points. And sometimes she does just hang back and let certain people be funny. But uh, I like that the movie. Again, first and foremost, I just laughed constantly, uh, especially the um, the one gay kid who runs the murder mystery party. That he's the best. Yeah. Who. Um, talks about his trip to Barcelona and <laughs> oh, uh, the biggest laugh I had the entire movie is when he's uh, doing Alanis Morissette at karaoke and he gets to the when he go down on you in a theater line and literally deep throats the karaoke <laughs> mic I laughed so hard that's the funniest thing in the movie to me uh, so there's all kinds of funny stuff like that um, I li- uh, the movie seems to take place in some sort of slightly alternate dimension, I guess, um, in uh, in terms of how kids behave and how they go off to college and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, I kind of like that, or I kind of mostly it was fully conceived enough that I didn't really think that much about uh, what it was, what that meant, or or if that was difficult to swallow that all these kids were going to the college that the, these, these great colleges, um, uh, there was something else. Oh yes. And then, but mostly, mostly because it's funny, but also I think the movie has a lot of affection for its characters and draws a lot of these characters or relies on performers. I think, to draw the characters in specific ways that maybe aren't there on the page. I think of, uh, you know, you've got your, your two leads are really good, but the other two performances I really want to pick out. Um, and one, I forget her name, uh, who plays Ryan, uh, Caitlin Deaver's crush. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You saw the movie. Um, she's terrific. She felt yeah, like sure. the kind of person you'd have a crush on in high school. Um, in, in a lot of ways. And then the number one I want to point out is Billy Lord, who is right. taking, uh, the kind of character you see in every one of these movies, I think on the movie journal, I compared to this later compared to this later in days of confused, you know, who's just like the goofball who pops up and has, uh, says funny things and then imbues her with so much humanity that you actually like, especially when you, uh, the, now I forget his name too. Who played uh, Jared, I think is the character's name. Who was her friend, yeah. Gigi's friend. Uh, when you hear him talk about her, there's so much, there, there's so much humanity to this completely gonzo character that Billy Lord created. Um, and I think that's, I, I think that's, you know, Tyler, you and I talk about how actors stepping behind the camera can, um, often go awry. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that Olivia Wilde, sort of trusts the actors to, I think, develop these, even these smaller, uh, uh supporting characters. Uh, I don't even know if Ryan is even a supporting character. She's a, a plot device really who ends up being, I think the terrific. performance is so good that there's a, uh, enough of a character there. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, it was, I really liked it. I laughed a lot. That's the most important thing. And as is often important with comedies, I felt like it moved really quickly. Mm-hmm. All right. You don't have any rebuttal. I, the, the, I, I didn't like the kind of alternate reality thing that you hinted at. That there's like everything's a little too neat. There's no real like room for characters just being negative to each other for no reason. There's no like even when the two have their big fight, which is inevitable in these types of movies, it fades out and into music because it can't get too ugly. And the moment when it does, we don't even hear. Sure, yeah. it just kind of avoids a lot of the nastiness that's inherent to high school in mm. favor of everyone being pleasant and friendly but that's a more fertile ground for all the jokes i think for the for the type of jokes this movie is making it's not this isn't a satire it's not it doesn't have to be a satire but you Uh, can tell the same jokes and still acknowledge that uh people in high school are just shitty to each other a lot of the time for no reason not at this school 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was yeah. I definitely noticed that, but uh, it didn't it didn't take me on. All right, and it seemed fully conceived. But that's actually it's interesting uh, having not seen the film but listening to this conversation because Scott, I know that something that you and I have in common is that we tend to feel like too much pleasantness <laughs> winds up sort of diluting comedy. Yeah. I remember this is something you and I talked about with Parks and Rec yep. is that and after a while and the office that like after a while, everybody gets along so well and everyone's hugging all the time. Yeah. That it's just like the humor comes out of the occasional idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasy of a character. But considering where certainly where the office started, yeah. not that it was necessarily mean spirited, but it's steered into that awkwardness. And then by the end, everyone's just friends all the time. Yeah. See, and it I does like get, that. I like, that. I like, I like the mom and the onion article. Who just wants to watch a nice movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember, um, back when David, when you and I were at Columbia and I was taking a film noir screenwriting class and my mom was asking like, Oh, what kind of script are you writing? And I told her some of it. And of course there's betrayal and violence and all that kind of thing. And she's like, I just want you to write nice things. I'm like, mom, it's a film noir screenwriting class. <laughs> That's like the whole deal is that yeah. nice doesn't happen. Uh, and if it does, you can't trust it. Uh, okay. So right, my here we go. drum roll, number my one. number one with a bullet. Nah, I like to lead a battle angel quite a bit. Those are, those are like oh, okay. definitively like my top two. Okay. And I would say if I were to revamp my list, I'd probably say fighting with my family is like number three. Okay. Um, and this is Hans Peter Mullins cold pursuit. Oh yeah. I really want to see stuck, this. You should have stuck with the, with a bullet thing. I know. That I did have that well thought. That. Yeah. Um, no, I like this movie too. Yeah. It really Talking about a dark <laughs> comedy. <laughs> yeah. And one that what's so, <laughs> what's so wonderful about it is that, you know, in a way, here's the thing, David, you had kind of told me about some of the dark humor, which made me want to see it. And in a way, I wish that I didn't know that it was funny. Oh, but then okay. frankly, if I thought it was just a straightforward Liam Neeson action movie, I probably wouldn't have seen it. Right. So, uh, but I, I do find myself wondering, like if you were somebody going to see it, thinking it was going to be the commuter or taken or what, something I, like that. I just that. went to a press screen. I, I yeah. had no idea what, what, what I was in for either. And it's not, and even going in, expecting it to be funny it doesn't announce itself as funny for a while it's more just there are some moments here and there like huh like when they go to identify their son's body yeah which is one of the darkest or when liam neeson is going to kill himself and has (laughs) the barrel of a rifle in his mouth Uh when someone gets his attention and he looks over and it's like just still in his mouth (laughs) it's it's ridiculous. I mean, that, you don't get darker than yeah. that. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, it's, it, but within that, like the characters are delightful and they're, you know, they're heightened in a way that I appreciate. Um, and, and then like the keeping track of the bodies and all that is fun. And it's just a, it's, it's such a, it just has such a clear sense of what it is and it doesn't apologize for it and it doesn't compromise. Like this is the movie we're making. Yes. It has all the trappings of an, of these types of thrillers and yet it still finds the, the, I would say like the humor, but I would say the absurdity, like it doesn't have to look too hard to find the absurdity. It doesn't have to incorporate these weird twists and turns to find the absurdity. All it does, not unlike Dr. Strangelove and the fact that, uh, that it was essentially based on a book that wasn't that funny. It's like, 
the the situation is so ridiculous and, and absurd. We don't have to do we don't have to change it that much. Yeah. We just need to dig a little bit. And even then we don't have to dig that deep because it is so inherently goofy and silly. Um, it yeah. just it's the kind of thing that I could see someone getting mad about because I could see someone feeling like this movie ruins all the other ones because now they're like, (laughs) Oh, I can't take these quite so seriously anymore. I remember when I first saw it, I was a little, a little put off by how outside of Liam Neeson, most of the, most of the game, like crime world characters, I think the performances were very arch and like in retrospect, I think, Oh, I think that's actually by design. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a regular guy and they're in the world of these type of movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's some corny jokes too. Like, uh, uh, do you have any idea what I can do to you people on Yelp? Yeah, <laughs> it's, and then that's and how it's, a uh, uh, organized crime leader threatens a hotel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hotel yeah it's uh, it's complex and complicated and fun and bloody, and it's I enjoyed it quite a bit. So yes. that is currently my number one of the year. All right, um, what's your number? My one? number one is uh, Christian Petzl's Transit. Uh, which have you seen? I couldn't remember if we saw this no, together. No, yeah, I, I haven't seen this this one. I'm uh, yeah on the fence because I didn't love Phoenix as much as everybody else did, okay. but I love Barbara maybe more than everyone else did. So That's possible. Uh, I'm not sure if this is more Barbara or more Phoenix, but uh, you can reverse those for me because I liked Barbara a little less and yeah. Phoenix. I'd say about as much as most people did. Uh, but Transit is really remarkable, <laughs> and it's got a premise that's so good to be hard to mess up. And I don't mean premise as a narrative, but as an almost aesthetic. It's based on a 1942 novel, um, but it adapts it pretty straight. But it transports the events to modern times, kind of. There's no cell phones. The wardrobe that people wear is kind of like uh, era what's the word agnostic I guess like there's no like oh, it doesn't feel like modern dress but it doesn't feel like period dress either uh, but the buildings are all modern the police cars are modern everything about it is modern except it's still telling the story it's very much a 1942 story to the extent that it kind of is or isn't because it's about this guy who is on the run from in the novel it's explicitly Nazis in the movie it's just a vaguely fascistist government um, he uh, comes upon the identity papers of this writer who committed suicide uh, and who had a way out of the country that he's trying to escape. Um, but he's not quite taking that avenue just yet. He's spending some time in, I think, Marseille, somewhere that's kind of uh, demilitarized zones, kind of like Casablanca in this way, um, where everyone's trying to get out of, and he has the papers that can get him out. And he's trying to figure out the best thing to do with that uh power and that information um and along the way he meets a woman who turns out to be the wife of the writer he's impersonating and who it turns out he also looks a lot like and so there's so many elements of the film that kind of exist in this purgatorial uh place whether it's from the aesthetic premise of existing between two times or all these people existing between two points in their lives um and it's just a really spellbinding and fascinating story. It's almost kind of like a ghost story about living people um, because everyone feels a little out of place, a little displaced and a little part of it. That also is cemented through the narration, which is not by any of the main characters and we don't find out until late in the film who is telling the story. And that kind of accounts for some of the 
uh, inconsistencies, most the common line you hear against narration is like, well, you can just show it on screen, but what this narration gives us is the differences. There's some things that the narrator says happens that mm-hmm. we don't see happen or that happen differently than the way he describes them. And that's just another element of kind of this purgatorial, like transitory state that the film exists in. And it's just a really, in any other context, it would also be a really involving movie. But since we're also in the midst of our own refugee crisis, it's an interesting way to get at that without directly tackling it and more getting in, at it in a genre way that I think we're more accustomed to seeing and which um, in a way makes it more palatable in a way, but also more relatable in that it's part of an ongoing story of people being thrust out of various places by um, two powerful governments and two powerful forces that uh, they're constantly trying to make their way and constantly trying to help each other out in small ways and figure out what's next without um, having really any power over their lives. Uh, It's a really powerful film that I can't wait to see again. All right, moving on to my number one, which has already been given away. That's uh, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, uh, which was the final film that I saw at this year's Sundance Film Festival, um, which has been like a good indicator for me yeah, like Sounds the final like film the final film because I think the year before it was Madeline's Madeline right. and the year before that it was something in, in 2017 I can't remember oh it was Call Me By Your Name there you go uh, and um, in 2016 it was uh, that Philip Roth one that I ever forget the name <laughs> of uh, Indignation Indignation yes uh, which is fine yeah. anyway uh, yeah so the souvenir is a, a largely autobiographical I guess yeah uh, tale of a um young film student in London in the 1980s um, uh, who comes from wealth uh, and is trying to figure out how to make her thesis film in a very sort of uh, I I think the way that a lot of young privileged condescending liberals (laughs) do without realizing they're being condescending like I'm going to tell a story about they're like Barton Fink in a way right you know Uh, and she went the difference is she's I think she's genuinely curious about that world and generally it's part of her larger desire to break out and just get more of a sense of the world than what she was brought up in yeah. But she doesn't realize that she's completely incapable of addressing yeah. it at age 18 I, or 19 or whatever. Yeah. No, she's older than that. She's like 20 something. Yeah. Uh, and, and at the same time, she's uh, falling in love with a uh, government official who's also a heroin addict. Right. Um, talk about movies that Richard Ayoade uh, is great mm. in. Uh, <laughs> he's got um, he's got just one scene. I that's think That's all I remember. Yeah, Just one scene in the souvenir. That's mm. uh, a huge scene that he's terrific in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got uh, Honor Swinton Byrne. Is that yeah. uh, her name uh, as the lead, and uh, something Burke? Tom as, Burke. Tom Burke as as the uh, heroin addict, and uh, Joanna Hogg's style. Now, I haven't seen her other films. I've Unrelated seen Exhibition. Uh, Exhibition. Okay, um, and so I don't know if this is a stylistic departure. This is what she always does. In that the camera is so largely at a distance, largely sort of head on, almost like proscenium type of filmmaking for a lot of scenes. That's right. That's very much an exhibition, even more so an exhibition. Um, and so, uh, yeah, she lets these things unfold, uh, the, you've got a great script and cast and great set direction so they can happen like that. But then she also peppers in these sort of like impressionistic handheld moments here and here and there, you know, there's, there's a part where, 
um, I think she's saying he's going off to work or going off a work trip or something and she's saying goodbye and suddenly it cuts closer to him sort of leaning in and saying I love you or something or saying goodbye I don't remember like that um, and I uh, I don't know I I have my thoughts of what those things are okay. that I think uh, I think those moments are not necessarily as they are actually happening to the character okay. but they're as this character will remember them in the future mm. that's how I interpreted those I don't know if you had any uh, I didn't even how, notice how that uh, trend so I'll be curious to rewatch it with that in mind oh yeah there's only there's only like three or four of them okay uh, yeah there's there's one yeah she's saying goodbye there's another one she's on the bed and she picks up like a stuffed animal or something and suddenly okay. the camera's like closer and handheld um uh, anyway, it's a, a, a very, uh, uh, on the one hand, it seems like a very uh, formally rigorous movie that seems very considered from all angles. And on the other hand, it also, I think, because of her experience and because of the performances in the script, it also feels very natural and organic yeah, at the same time. Uh, the script is apparently mostly improvised, um, mm-hmm. or the dialogue, rather, uh, it, which is surprising in one sense in that it's so precise with how much it accomplishes in each scene. And each scene has a driving momentum that most improvised movies you don't really associate that with. Um, but also, the characters talk so naturally that I was—I didn't know that when I saw it, so I assumed that it was just written exceptionally well. <laughs> that it has this very careful balance between driving everything forward and characters speaking in a very offhanded way that most dialogue isn't written in. Um, so, yeah, I think that also speaks to that balance you're talking about. And the performances are just... I mean, Tom Burke, to me, is the performance of the year. Not Even before we find out what is wrong with him and what he's struggling with, he's just so strange and compelling to watch. Yeah. The way he just, like, seems to linger on every word and overpronounces things and has this sort of, like, classical British uh, affectation of class that I didn't know when the movie was set when it started, and so I assumed it was set a little earlier because he seems to still be holding on to, like, this wartime idea of what upper-class Britishness looks like. Oh, right. Um, but by the 1980s, I mean, I'm sure they were trying to bring that back a bit with Thatcher and all that. Uh, but it, he almost feels like he's removed from time. I mean, the introduction we get to him is, like, in this tea house that, like, yeah. I never think of... I never see that exist in the 80s, you know? Yeah. But the music... The music, uh, the, the actual songs... When I found yeah, by the time... The 80s, very... St- by the time the soundtrack kind of kicked yeah. in. Actually, one thing, my number one, and Tyler's number one have in common, okay. the song 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders is really? in The Souvenir <laughs> and in Cold Pursuit. That's awesome. <laughs> which um, is a great, great song. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the hell else was I going to say? Um, but yeah, I, I, the way I've been describing it to people is about a young woman who wants to make movies but doesn't know what kind of movies she wants to make and wants to be in a relationship but she doesn't know what kind of relationship she wants to be in yet. And the film wisely doesn't put a pin in either of those or like identify that that's what it's about. It just kind of gradually finds its way along that. And her attachment to him in spite of everything he does to her is so affecting, I think it's really kind of heartbreaking. And there's numerous times where I could hear the audience around me getting sick of it. And like, when's she going to leave this guy? <laughs> but I, I, I guess I don't know what kind of relationships these people have where you can so easily just disconnect yourself from people who mean a great deal to you, even if yeah. they mean more to you than you do to them. Like that's such a, to me, uh, ineffably human characteristic that I'm always on board when the film explores it. And especially that this does it so deftly and so kind of carefully without her. It's not like she's madly in love with him. will do anything for him. You know, there's times when she does push him away and there's times when, but the fact that she's continuing to be drawn to him, I found uh, very touching. 
Uh, yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to the sequel, which is I know. in production. Robert Pattinson is no longer in it, though. I know. Because of a Christopher Nolan movie, I think. Is yeah, it? well, yeah. and he was supposed to, I think, play the Tom Burke role in this, so I'm kind of glad oh. that didn't work out because I like Tom Burke so much. Yeah, Tom in Burke's it. terrific. Yeah. Um, so maybe it could very well end up for the best. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, our top fives. I want to run down. This has been a great year for 2018 movies that have come out in 2019. So I'm going <laughs> to rush through. Uh, and I'm surprised that more of these uh, didn't make your uh, list, Scott. I only had seen, five to go with, man. Uh, I know you've seen some of these, but let me... <gasps> Ashes Purest White, Her Smell, The Chambermaid, Three Faces, Hotel by the River, Climax, uh, The Image Book, nonfiction is on my list, High Life, The Fall of the American Empire, Charlie Says, Too Late to Die Young, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Rafiki, Starfish, and Island of the Hungry Ghosts. They're all 2018 movies that I have seen in 2019. Uh, uh, from what I remember from your list, The Image Book and Hotel by the River came the closest to being at my top five. But, you know, you only have five slots. <laughs> Did you see Ashes Pierce Dwight? Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, that's that's very much that up there. might still be lingering my top ten, but it's hard to say. Um, and then, uh, Scott, you said you wanted to mention 2019 movies that we have seen that haven't come out yet. What do you oh, think? I guess. Just at a glance. Well, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these would be in my top five. Um, but... Uh, can't because they have not yet uh, right. been released at least as, as of the end of june um so la floor certainly the 14 hour incredible six part yeah I'm six like episode four part films hard to say how yeah. to classify i'm like 11 hours into it yeah so uh, I'll, I'll let you know but totally compelling right you can't oh, stop yeah, watching I, it i was saying to you off mic that yeah. i'm sad i've watched 11 hours of the movie and i'm sad that i have to that i'm almost done with it. yeah uh and then just kind of scrolling through here uh, if we don't do not go down yeah i do not care if we go down in history as barbarians recently got announced uh for late july release yeah, so i'm soon. very excited about that i saw that afi fest and totally loved it um I guess Asako 1 and 2 did come out in New York. It never came out here, so I'm always okay. a little lost there. Um, that's the same with LaFleur right now. Is only New York is scheduled, right? Or are they... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I just... I don't know if this would make my top five, but I, I just saw it a couple of days ago, um, and it came out in July, so we wouldn't count it anyway. Uh, but Midsummer is really oh. terrific. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll mention um, <coughs> most of these are Sundance things. Uh, Honeyland, I didn't see at Sundance, I only just had the other day, and it's incredible. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm really looking actually, forward to it. I shouldn't say incredible as a compliment about a documentary, because that means no, the opposite. <laughs> I mean. uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's stunning. Okay. Um, this Honeyland is actually currently my number one movie of the year. Also, at Sundance, uh, and close uh, on Honeyland's tail, uh, is Gurinder Chavez's Blinded by the Light. Um, you've also got uh, uh, The Report, which I'm sure is not coming out until November because it's, it's like right. an awards-type movie, um, but that's terrific. And then a movie that I loved at Sundance that no one else seemed to uh, is the um, Bahar Nvari's horror movie, horror movie Wounds. With, uh, oh, I'm excited uh, for it, that's yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's awesome. Some people hated it, yeah. though, at Sundance, unfortunately, but uh, I really liked it. And then, yeah, there's other stuff I saw at Sundance that still doesn't have a release date, like We Are Little Zombies and The Death of Dick Long. Those were great. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I feel like, A, I feel like 2018 is an even better movie year than I realized, having caught up on these That's always how it happens, things. though. Uh, but I feel like especially this year. I'm seeing, okay. Like, I see a lot of, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of great movies uh, in 2018, or from 2018. Uh, and it sounds like we got some good stuff to look forward to. So yeah. uh, uh, we'll have a great top 10 uh, season. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> at the end. <laughs> one of some movies at some point. I'll see, I'm going to say eight more movies okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah don't feel bad about that you're doing you're shaping young minds 
<sighs> You're forming the next generation of cineasts. Sorry, cinephiles. I guess, I guess the so. Listeners tell me not to say cineast. Why? It's, I guess the, the connotation is something more specific. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, so it used to me. Yeah. Uh, I've been told more, by more than one person that I should say cinephile and not cineast. You know, I'm reminded I, I was watching uh, Silicon Valley a while ago and uh, Andy Daly is uh, delightful as uh, Richard's doctor who's uh-huh. just an asshole but at one point he uh, he's like he goes alright come on Frankenstein he goes oh you mean Frankenstein's monster and he's like what? oh you're one of those <laughs> and the guy's and the guy says uh, and then Richard he's like well it's just you know because Frankenstein's the doctor and Frankenstein's monster and Andy is like he goes yeah I know he's like you know if you want to be happier just why don't you just go along with what people say and have fun? <laughs> and, and, and like, and there are times when it's like, on one hand, I don't agree with the doctor. On the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but you know what? If I did, I'd probably be a lot happier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys seen somebody just took the last page of Frankenstein? I don't know if you guys have read the book yeah. where it, it, the Frankenstein ends with like the monster, like floating away on a raft or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody just like hand wrote in and as the monster floated away, I could faintly hear his cry and say, you could just call me Frankenstein. Really, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you can find us at Battleship Pretension, uh, all of us, um, at one time or another. It's, I, I'm so bad at twelve years in. You'd think I'd know how to host a fucking podcast. Uh, I don't have the. I don't have my plugs uh, called up like I yeah. wanted them. Uh, Literally every episode of Criterion Cast we start, and I have no idea what episode number it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, this week on on the. Over to BattleshipRetention.com, Movie Meltdown sat down with Sam Irvin. I reviewed the re-release of The Return of Martin Gare. Um, uh, Alex talked about The Secret of Rowan Inish, the John Sayles movie. I reviewed Marianne and Leonard and the re-release of Paris is Burning. Sarah reviewed Phil. There's all kinds of reviews going on over at BattleshipRetention.com. And at the Patreon this week is a mailbag episode, or this past week right, was yes. a mailbag. Coming up is a TV journal. Yes, that's what we're in between. You can uh, find those uh, on the website. If you're a patron, you can sign up for patron or sign up for our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/BattleshipPretension. Those that have in the past said that they enjoy listening to us talk about the Amazing Race, uh, that is where we talk about it. We talk about it on our Patreon TV journal. Yeah, and so. uh, our new. Um, our new shared passion. Our new show within a show. Uh, our Kitchen Nightmares recap podcast. Exactly. What's that there? Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> anyway, that's all at Battleship Retention on the TV Journal coming up this week. Uh, you can find us, a, you can email me at david at battleshipretention.com. You can email, email Tyler at tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can find me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. You can find t- Tyler at Tyler Pretension. Anything to plug? Uh, over at uh, More Than One Lesson, um, The Fear of God is, has been putting out some pretty interesting episodes. And then, and um, one of my writers, uh, Bob, sort of in my prompting, um, he was watching Jaws on Fourth of July, as many people do. And he was uh, and he sent me a message. He's like, oh, I love this movie so much. But then he was like, as we grumpy uh, movie people tend to be, he was like, yes. It's like, you know, if they made this movie now, I don't think they'd let this uh, Quint monologue thing go on. <laughs> and I was like, sounds like an article. Write it up. <laughs> and so he wrote an article about that. So if you want to if you want to engage in some crotchety old manism, uh, head on over to more than one lesson dot com. Scott, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow and at Battleship Pretension and Criterion Cast. Nothing really to plug, especially since we, I just was on the show like a week ago, two weeks ago. You've been on a number of times. Yeah. Recently, it's, you're always welcome. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm just saying, since then, nothing's changed. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, well, thank you for being here, Scott. Uh, yeah. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.